morning. So have you ever wondered, what is God's will for my life? It's kind of a big question, isn't it? Now, in, in what kinds of situations would you ask God, oh, oh God, what is your will? Maybe you're wondering, should I quit my job? Should I take that job? Should I move to Shanghai? Should I leave Shanghai? Should I date that person? Do I even want to get married? And on and on. We might be afraid of making a mistake or missing out on an opportunity. We ask the question, what if? What if I do take that job and it ends miserably? What if I move there and have no friends? What if I start dating that person and it does not end well? What if, what if? But have you asked yourself the reason that you're asking these questions? What is the reason behind sometimes our search for God's will? If we do a heart check, I think sometimes the reason we so much want to know God's will perhaps might be more self-centered than we like to admit. We often focus on whether this choice will be successful rather than on whether this choice will or will not please God. At other times, maybe we are asking these questions with a good attitude. Maybe we are confused. Maybe we are truly wanting to please God with a particular decision. But whatever the case, it's good to take a step back and consider what the Bible teaches about God's will and following God's will. And this can also help correct us in some of the ways we may be mistaken in searching for God's will. What does the Bible say about the will of God? I think the Apostle Paul helps us here in the book of Colossians. By the way, he prayed for the Colossians in Colossians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Colossians 1. Colossians 1, we'll be looking at verses 9 to 14. Colossians 1, 9 to 14. You can also see it printed in your bulletins. Two Sundays ago, we began our series in Colossians, looking at verses 1 to 8. In verses 1 to 8, Paul thanked God for the gospel transformation of the Colossian Christians as evidenced by their faith, hope, and love. Paul also thanked God for the growth of the gospel in Colossae and around the world. There are a couple themes we will go back to several times in the book of Colossae. One theme is the person and work of Jesus Christ, and the second is new life in Christ. These themes are tied together in that the message of the gospel speaks of Christ and how to have new life in Christ. In the first eight verses of the book of Colossians, we are reminded of the kinds of things we should be thankful for in the lives of believers and in other churches. As we continue on in verses 9 to 14, Paul transitions from thanksgiving to petitioning God. And so just as we considered two Sundays ago, what are good things to be thanking God for? This morning we'll be learning and thinking on what are good things that we should be praying for. So please follow along with me as I read Colossians 1, 9 to 14. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, 
asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In considering our scripture passage this morning, here's a a main idea I think we can take away, and that is, let us pray for the knowledge of God's will so that we live in a way that is worthy of Jesus our Lord. Let us pray for the knowledge of God's will so that we live in a way that is worthy of Jesus our Lord. We're going to consider this passage in four points. One, the content of the prayer, verse 9. Two, the reason for the prayer, that will be the first half of verse 10. Three, the expectations of the prayer, from the second half of verse 10 to verse 12. And four, the background for the prayer. We'll repeat those again when we get to them, but content, reason, expectations, and background. So let's begin with point one, the content of the prayer. We'll be looking again at verse nine. But before we even get to the content of the prayer, I want to make an aside, and and that is to say simply to learn from Paul's example here that we pray continually. He writes, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Paul and Timothy have not ceased to pray for the Colossians. This is not something where Paul heard maybe a a prayer request from the church in Colossae and prayed for them once and checked the box and was like, okay, we prayed for that church. But no, he, he continues to pray for them. They're persevering in prayer for the Colossian church. This prayer began with an attitude of thanksgiving to God for what God had already done and is already doing in the lives of the Colossians, as we saw in verses 3 to 8. This attitude of thanksgiving drives Paul's petitions. Paul is thankful to hear about the faith and the love the Colossians have because of their hope laid up in heaven. But Paul does not only pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the Colossians, Paul wants to see them grow in Christ. Even here at the beginning of the passage, we can consider the lesson of what kinds of Christians need prayer. The answer is that all Christians need prayer. We aren't meant to read Paul's letters and think, oh, oh, those Galatians, they really need prayer. Or those, those Corinthians, they had some crazy stuff going on. That church, Paul, you should be praying more for that church. But no, we're meant to be reminded that, that all Christians need prayer no matter how poorly or how well they seem to be doing. What God had already done in the Colossian church was really encouraging. And so Paul continues to persevere for them in prayer. Sometimes in our prayers, we might be more reactive than proactive. Something bad happens in our life or someone else's life, and so we pray about it. And we should be praying about it. We should be praying in times of crisis and in times of need. 
But those aren't the only times we should be praying. Paul continues to pray that God will continue to do his good work in the lives of the Colossian Christians. All of us need the kinds of prayers that Paul prays here. All of us need God's supernatural help in the Christian life we are walking. So brothers and sisters, let's continue to thank God for one another and continue to pray for one another. Let us even continue on in prayer for Christians and churches we may not even know personally. Okay, so what is Paul praying for the Colossians? In the second half of verse 9, we read that Paul is asking that the Colossian church may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Going back to our original question in regards to God's will, here Paul prays that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Oftentimes today when we think of God's will, we're thinking of God's, God's secret will or God's plan. But we would be helped by considering more what the Bible teaches on God's will. There are two ways that the words God's will are often used in the New Testament. One way refers to God's sovereign will that orders all events. For example, in Colossians 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. It was according to God's will, it was according to God's plan that Paul became an apostle. The second way is God's will of command. These are commands that God would have his people to obey. This has to do with living according to to what God has revealed in his word. Romans 12 verse 2 would be an example of this, which says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Or in Thessalonians, just the short phrase that the will of God is your sanctification. This also has to do with obedience to God's commands. And these two categories may overlap some. God does plan that his people grow in the faith. So what about our passage this morning? In the context of our passage, this seems to be referring more to God's will of command. The knowledge of God's will has to do with the knowledge of all God's word so that the Colossians can live out the Christian faith. And Paul helps us understand what he means by this by relating the knowledge of God's will with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The word spiritual that seems to be describing wisdom and understanding should probably be best understood as wisdom and understanding that comes from the Holy Spirit. All knowledge and wisdom and understanding comes from God, and the Spirit makes this knowledge, wisdom, and understanding possible. Oftentimes our prayer requests in regards to God's will are quite narrow. We may focus on one particular decision. Now, this is not wrong, but Paul's prayer request is much broader. Paul's praying much bigger. He prays that these Christians be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the point is not to find out what God's secret will is for our life, as if God is hiding something. The point is that these Christians be so filled by God's Spirit and by the knowledge of who God is that it will affect their action. They'll be able to make wise decisions as people who are filled 
with God's Spirit. So let's apply this to our prayers today as well. There may be times when we don't know what to do or we're paralyzed over a decision. But even before that time comes, we want to be praying that God's Spirit would fill us with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And so whether it's the daily decisions or the seemingly bigger decisions in life, we're already living lives that are constantly growing in the knowledge of God's will and the wisdom and understanding that we have as the Holy Spirit reveals the principles of God's Word to us. This also makes sense when we consider who we ask for advice, doesn't it? We want to ask brothers and sisters for advice who are filled with the knowledge of God's will and who have this wisdom and understanding from God's Spirit. That brings us to our second point, the reason for prayer, the reason for this prayer. Here we'll look at just the first half of verse 10. Here we have the reason that Paul is praying that the Colossians be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. The reason is, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. So these two very important reasons are tied together with the word and. So the first is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk is a verb that is a picture of how we live. A manner worthy of the Lord is talking about the Lord Jesus, as we read in Colossians 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so we're to walk worthy of Jesus. We're to live worthy of Jesus. D.A. Carson, in his book, Praying with Paul, unpacks our passage in one chapter and comments on this section, noting that those from honor-shame cultures would likely better understand what it means to live worthy of someone. With many of our members from Asian cultures and many celebrating the new year this weekend, I imagine it becomes very clear how much your family thinks you are honoring them or shaming them in the decisions you've made or the ways that you live. Some of our members may be in their hometowns now and may listen to this recording later. But sadly, many of our families might not be thinking from a biblical worldview in regards to what truly brings honor or what brings shame. But what about for us as Christians? As important as bringing honor to family or honor to country may be, the most important one we want to honor is Jesus. Christians are to bring honor to Jesus. We're to walk in a manner worthy of the name Jesus. Paul's prayer is for the Colossian Christians, but ultimately it's a prayer concerned with the honor of Jesus Christ. So let's take the weight of this responsibility seriously. We want to live worthy of Jesus. The second reason that Paul is praying this prayer, as we see here, is that this manner of life be pleasing to the Lord Jesus. Paul wants the Colossians to please Jesus with the way that they live. That this overflowing knowledge and wisdom and understanding from the Spirit will lead to 
continued change in life that puts a smile on the face of Jesus. As a parent, there's nothing like seeing your child react with cheerful obedience. There's nothing like telling your toddler to do something, like clean up your toys, then hearing the words, yes, daddy, and then he goes and does exactly what daddy says. And I imagine that's just a taste of how we as children are to please God. Just as Jesus perfectly obeyed God the Father, we seek to follow the example of Jesus and live in a way that pleases Jesus because this pleases God. So how should these reasons that Paul prays teach us to pray? Let it teach us to seek to pray God-honoring prayers, to pray prayers that if God answers, we know that God would be honored more, to pray prayers that if God answers, we know that Jesus would smile. Let us pray what God delights in becomes more and more what we delight in. We pray about the things we care the most about, don't we? So let us grow in caring more about honoring the Lord Jesus with our lives and and pleasing him. And as we grow in making this a priority, we'll be spurred on to pray. Okay, so we understand that Paul is praying that the Colossians would live in a way that honors Jesus and pleases Jesus. But we still might have some questions about what this looks like in our lives. What does it look like to live in this way And Paul helps us here, too. So that brings us to our third point, the expectations of the prayer. The expectations of the prayer. Here we'll be looking from the second half of verse 10 until the end of verse 12. So picking up in the middle of the sentence, we read, Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here, Paul describes four characteristics of Christians. These are four, in the Greek, they're four participles. If you don't know what that is, you can ask an English teacher here after the service. But Paul is praying the members of the Colossian church will grow in these four ways. Okay, so at least if I'm understanding particles right, it's like an ING verb that ends up with a description, like you're describing a behavior or someone. But anyways, these descriptions show the fruit of the people who please Jesus and bring honor to Jesus. So Paul prays that the Colossians will be these kinds of people. So the first expectation is bearing fruit in good works. Notice how the language of bearing fruit echoes how Paul thanked God for the Colossians, that the gospel was bearing fruit and growing. Here it is the Colossians whose fruit should be good works. Yes, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, but the true Christian will be rich in good works. And so Paul prays for this. As James said in the book of James, faith without works is dead. True faith results 
in good works. A living faith results in good works. And these works are evidence of how God has changed our hearts. Jonathan Edwards, a pastor from the 1700s, writes in his book, Religious Affections, Godliness consists not in a heart that intends to do the will of God, but in a heart that does it. Godliness consists not in a heart that intends to do the will of God, but in a heart that does it. So for the heart that has truly been changed by God, there's going to be a following through, an obedience to God's commands. Godliness is displayed not not just in in wanting to do the right thing, but being given the ability by God to do the right thing. And so for the professing Christian that admits they know that they're sinning, and they say they want to stop this particular sin, but they keep doing it, there's a disconnect between the heart and the actions that could lead to spiritual danger. The Christian life is meant to be a changed life. We're to live differently because we're a new creation in Christ. The Colossians in their time and we today are to be bearing fruit in good works. So consider, brothers and sisters, what good works has God prepared for you to do? Let us pray with Paul that we would be rich in good works and that the members of our own church and of other churches would be rich in good works. And if you want to consider what good works looks like more in a little book of the Bible that packs a punch, you could spend some time reading the book of James this week and consider what change should be happening in your own life. Okay, so on to the second expectation that Paul prays for. It's increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, but didn't we talk about this already? At the beginning of Paul's prayer, he had been praying for knowledge of God's will for the Colossians. But here again, Paul prays that the Colossians would be characterized by the knowledge of God. So I don't think Paul is unnecessarily repeating himself. Instead, I think we're supposed to be reminded that the knowledge of God and of his commands leads to obeying his commands and good fruit, which leads to more knowledge of God and his commands. It's like a spiral going up in the knowledge of God. I imagine that many of you have experienced this already in the Christian life. Some knowledge of God leads to real change in your life and causes you to want to grow in knowledge of God. And so perhaps an in-depth Bible study or reading a book on theology is more appealing now than the first several months that you were a young Christian. Because you're growing in the knowledge of God and you realize there are so many avenues of continuing to grow in this knowledge of God through his word. And brothers and sisters, notice again how bearing fruit and good works and increasing in the knowledge of God are linked by this word and. Many of us may be tempted to focus more on one than the other. So-and-so may have a real heart for suffering people, a real heart of compassion. And so-and-so may have a real head for theology. And we may all tend in different ways, but the Christian life is a life in which we're continuing to grow in both. 
those of us who see our need for continued knowledge of God need to ever prioritize taking in God's word and learning more about him. And this should be all of us as we continue to do the good deeds God has prepared for us. Those of us who realize that we would be happy to just take a Bible and a theology book and go out into the woods for a week also need to consider what good works God has prepared for us this day and this week. How do we apply this knowledge of God to our lives? Okay, moving on to the third expectation Paul prays for. We read in verse 11, being strengthened with all power. And we notice that this strengthening is by God's glorious might. The strength and the power comes from God, and it comes making possible in the lives of the Colossians all endurance and patience with joy. So why would the Colossians need endurance and patience? When do you need endurance and patience? You need endurance when you're suffering, don't you? Or when that job seems overwhelming. Or when your family is going crazy. And when do you need patience? You need patience when life is hard. You need patience in those moments when you're tempted to get annoyed. And those situations that you think of when you need endurance and patience are not normally situations that would be easy for you to have joy in. Joy in suffering or joy in the mundane or joy in difficulty. But that is what Paul is praying for. And remember that a supernatural thing. Endurance and patience with joy is not something we can sum up on our own strength. Just as the Colossians did, we need the mighty power of God to have strength and endurance. This is God's strength given by God's spirit to believers. Have you ever heard the phrase, God won't give you anything you can't handle? Well, that's not in the Bible. And I think at the very least, it's misleading. You probably have been in situations in which you felt completely overwhelmed. I think it'd be more accurate to say to the Christian, God won't give you anything that God can't handle. God is the source of our strength. God is the source of our joy. God gives endurance and God gives patience. Paul understood this and so he prays it for the Colossians. Let this encourage us as well and let us pray this for ourselves and for others as well. Perhaps you know someone going through difficulty or perhaps you yourself are going through difficulty and you think any normal person would crack under this kind of difficulty. But that's why we're asking for supernatural strength from the Almighty God. Not strength to be flashy, but strength to endure with patience and with joy. Do you see the boldness of this prayer? That brings us to the fourth expectation that Paul prays for the Colossians. And that is giving thanks to the Father. Any of you surprised by this one? When we think of some of the most important characteristics of the Christian, the things that Paul would pray for, would we have guessed that Paul would have prayed for thankfulness? But thankfulness is so important in the Christian life. And Paul not so subtly reminds the Colossians of why they should be thankful. Because their Heavenly Father has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The Colossian Christians have received an undeserved 
inheritance from God. The Colossian Christians have been brought into God's family, and that is reason to give thanks to the Father. And brothers and sisters, this is enough reason for us to give thanks. No matter what trials or suffering we face, we're reminded to give thanks because we have been brought into God's family. One commentator, Doug Moo, noted how Thanksgiving is the flip side of a key theological theme in Paul's writings, and that is the theme of grace. Giving thanks implies that what is received is not earned, but is a gift. Have any of you ever written a thank you card to HR for your monthly salary? Okay, yeah, I don't think so. You expect it and you earned it. It's HR's job to give it to you. Yes, you may say a thank you to be polite, but a salary is not a gift. But if your boss gives you a bonus and you think, I don't think I earned this bonus, and it kind of came out of nowhere, I imagine you would be quick to tell your boss thank you. You would want to show your boss how thankful you are. You might even treat everyone around you to bowl tea. When we give thanks, we're reminded that what we've received is not earned. And all of us have, as Christians, received so much from the hand of God, beginning with our salvation, that we have plenty of reason to give thanks. So brothers and sisters, let us pray with Paul that we be a thankful people. And let us pray for our other brothers and sisters that they would live lives characterized by thankfulness. Paul modeled this well earlier in Colossians as he, he thanked God for so much in the Colossian church. So that brings us to the end of our third point in considering the expectations that Paul had in his prayer for the Colossian Christians. But the third point flows naturally into the fourth point. It is like Paul, after considering what Christians have to be thankful for, cannot help himself, but he has to continue to talk about the gospel. So that brings us to our fourth point, the background for the prayer in verses 13 to 14, the background for the prayer. This not only is the background for the prayer, but it is also continuing in being the background for the thankfulness that Paul speaks of in the life of the Christian. And if you're thinking by this point, wow, verses 9 to 14 are so strongly linked from the beginning to the end. Well, in the original Greek, verses 9 to 14 are all one sentence. But in the English translation, there is some added punctuation to try to help us follow along. Let's look again at verses 13 and 14. We read, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, speaking of the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. This image of darkness contrasts with the light that was spoken of in the previous verses, Christians are saints in light. This being delivered out of a dark domain and brought into a new kingdom may also allude to how God rescued his people out of slavery in Egypt and brought them into the promised land. Notice the contrast here. This is true for all Christians. We were under the rule of darkness and we needed to be rescued 
out of that darkness. We were under the dominion of our sin and Satan, and we needed to be rescued from those cruel lords. And so God rescued us and brought us into the kingdom of the Son, whom he loves. The word redemption connotes a buying out of slavery. We're slaves to darkness, slaves to our sin, but Jesus paid the price to redeem us with his blood. And when Jesus redeemed us by his blood, he also made a way for our sins to be forgiven. This gives us so much reason as Christians to give thanks to God, to give thanks to God for how he rescued us. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want to share with you that there are only two kingdoms in this world. There's the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. Right now, if you're not a Christian, you're still walking in darkness. You don't have a way of escaping on your own. You get stuck in your sins. You know you need forgiveness, but you don't know where you can receive forgiveness. But the good news is that Jesus made a way for you to be brought out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. Jesus did this by paying the penalty for your sins, by giving up his own life in order to buy you out of slavery. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God the Father can offer you forgiveness for your sins. So I urge you to put your trust in Jesus as King to turn away from your sins and to repent. Pray that God would bring you into the kingdom of the Son, of His Son, whom He loves, that He would forgive you for your sins. I'd be happy to talk about this more with you, and so would the Christians seated around you. I titled this fourth point, The Background of the Prayer, and it is the background in a way, but I wonder if I could have also titled it The Backbone of the Prayer. This is not the backbone of our verses from a grammatical standpoint, just walking through the verse. But the clear gospel truth that is proclaimed here is undergirding all of Paul's letter. It really is as if Paul cannot help himself but go back again and again to the gospel. Since God has brought us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, since we are saints in light, we approach God as beloved children. Well-known pastor Tim Keller, who passed away last year, once said, The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of access because God has made us his children. So, brothers and sisters, let this truth of our new identity as citizens of the kingdom of Jesus causes us to be thankful and undergird how we live and how we pray. When we have a difficult time being thankful, let us go back again and again to what Christ has done for us. Thinking back to our main point and, and thinking back to praying for the knowledge of God's will, continue to consider how the knowledge of God's will comes from knowledge of God. As you get to know someone better, you get to know what that person wants. I imagine you have friends here that if you all go out to eat after this, you could order dishes for them and they'd be perfectly happy. 
And as relationships go deeper, you begin to understand at a deeper level what a person wants. As Christians, we want to be growing and understanding what it is that God wants for us. And we grow in this as we get to know God better. That doesn't mean that God will map out a detailed plan for our life and give it to us. But it does mean that the better we get to know God, the better we'll be able to please God. The better we get to know Jesus, the better we'll be able to please Jesus. And we know that some of the ways we please Jesus include bearing fruit in good works, growing in the knowledge of God, enduring patiently and joyfully, and being thankful. And these are all things that we need God's supernatural help to grow in. There may be some of you who feel a little overwhelmed by how much change you see needs to take place in your own life. But remember, this is a prayer. This is why we pray, isn't it? We pray because we see our own need. We see that we cannot live out the Christian life on our own strength. And we pray for one another because we need one another. We need others to pray for these things for us as well. Paul gives us a wonderful example of what to pray. So brothers and sisters, let's be praying these things for one another. And let's be praying these things for those at other gospel-preaching churches. This kind of prayer-filled trust and living according to God's commands is how we please God. And so if we're thinking of how to please Jesus in these ways, what matters more than what job we take is how we honor God in that job. What matters more than whether or not you get married is the reason behind whether or not you get married. What matters more than the geographical location that you move to is the fellowship with believers you have in that new place. This does not mean that the what-ifs that you may fear will not happen, but if those what-ifs do happen, God can continue to give his supernatural might and endurance and patience with joy, even in the hard times. Even if those what-ifs do happen, hold on to your identity as a child of God. Hold on to the fact that the Father loves you as displayed in how he rescued you out of the dominion of darkness and brought you into the kingdom of light. And brothers and sisters, let's keep praying for one another that we would live lives that honor and delight Jesus in a dark world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do, we do thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the truth of your gospel. We thank you for the redemption in Christ, for forgiveness of sins, for taking us out of the reign of darkness and into your kingdom. Lord, we do pray that you would grow us in these various ways, that you would grow us in walking with you, that we would live lives that honor you, that we would desire to please you. Lord, we do pray that, that you would you would change our heart attitudes. Lord, we pray that what we desire would be changed by what you desire. And Father, we do pray that we would be 
a thankful people in light of all that you have done and in response to who you are. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.